Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When I'm an old, old grandma and I say, like, I was nominated for an Emmy once, and they'll be like, when? And I'm like, that one year, that was so bad. And they're like, 2020, grandma? No, no. Hey everyone, I'm Patrick Gomez and I'm the editor-in-chief of the AV Club and thank you for joining us for our very first episode of Push the Envelope, the AV Club's new awards podcast where we are going to talk about everything from the Emmys to the Grammys to the Golden Globes to the Oscars to a bunch of other award shows, uh, some that you may watch, some that you may not, uh, but we're going to make sure that you know about them when they're coming up. Uh, But we're going to kick things off with four episodes talking all about the Emmys, which, if you're listening to this in real time, is what's coming up uh, later on this month. Uh, And it's not just going to be me. I'm joined here by our TV editor, Danette Chavez, and our managing editor, Eric Adams. Thank you guys so much for uh, indulging me in talking all things awards. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy happy to be here. Just just happy to be nominated. (laughs) Yes. Um, I mean, I know I've talked to you guys about the fact that I find award shows fascinating, both uh, the actual awards and talking about the nominations. I could spend so much time talking about it. But what I love about our jobs is that I'm I'm not alone in that. You guys equally, uh, you know, just devour that content as soon as they're announced uh, and have long before you even worked for the AV Club. Um, It's definitely one of the few things that uh, drew the attention of all seven of the kids in my family growing up. And that, that's a lot. Seven, I mean, to, to, to really be able to pull, pull the attention of seven is, is, is significant. I'm an only child, so it mostly was just me, uh, you know, wanting to talk to my mom oh, wow. about it. Uh, so I'm glad you had other people. And yet we were never selected to be like a Nielsen family or anything like that. Oh, my God. I, you know, fun fact, not about awards. I actually got sent the book one time, um, but we were on vacation. We were on vacation <gasps> the week that I was supposed to fill it out. Um, but I was like insistent on filling it out as though I was home. And my mom, like, just morally was so against that. She thought it was like lying to the government, basically. <laughs> um, but I did it anyway. So anyway, if, if um, some some very probably bad uh, 90s sitcoms got uh, got some credit that they maybe didn't deserve. <laughs> maybe you kept step-by-step step on the air for a few more weeks. You know what? If that is my claim to fame, I will take it. Um, but what about you, Eric? Is it, has it always been something you were into even as a young kid? I feel like I've, I've had a kind of love-hate, hot and cold relationship with award shows. It was a thing that I really loved when I was a kid, like to a disproportionate amount. Like I have this memory of taping the, I guess it would have been the 95 Oscars, the year that David Letterman hosted with the Uma Oprah uh, (laughs) and the Cabin Boy Sock Monkey auditions. And I remember watching it upstairs in my parents' bedroom while, like, they were having a dinner party going on. And it just felt like the most sophisticated adult thing I could be doing at the age of nine or ten or however old I was. But, like, as I got, as I grew older, you kind of get, you develop that, like, chip on your shoulder toward uh, the awards 
uh, or any sort of like ca- canonizing effort where it's just like, oh, well, this is this is an excuse to watch a bunch of rich people get dressed up and hand each other statues. And, you know, you can get kind of snobby about it. So uh, a nice thing about this job is that it does kind of give me a reason to indulge that small part uh, of of what I enjoyed about the awards when I was a kid. And it, to a certain extent, awards are, yes, meaningless and some sometimes there are aspects of it where it's just the industry patting itself on the back but it's also a way to kind of remember the history of a medium in some of the ways that the the AV club is is committed to uh and also it's just like uh, when things win awards that means that the the award winner uh that the the network that the show is on like they get to keep making that show or they're encouraged to make that type that same type of show uh that's not always for the best i think you know we'll talk a little bit later about how the emmys have a tendency to reward the same things over and over again but like they they do matter uh they maybe just don't matter to people who aren't <laughs> in the industry uh that was that was a long answer but no, hey but- it's podcasting <laughs> that's what we're here for um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned kind of what it made you feel like as a kid, because I hadn't even really thought about it. But for me, uh, it was like the one big party every year that my mom and I went to was an Oscars party. It was that and Christmas Eve. Other than that, it, you know, she was working and going to night school and uh, there wasn't a lot of time to do that kind of stuff. And so I always looked forward every year to going over to her friend's place and they would do a ballad. And even when I was like six or seven, I would fill out my ballad, like not having seen any of these movies um, and, and participate. And I think that that was a big part of, of what made me super excited about it. Um, it makes me continue to be excited about talking about who's nominated and who might win and what that means for the future uh to give uh, all of you listening an idea, today we're going to kind of uh, break this up into uh, three discussion topics uh, and then get to you a little bit of celebrity um, celebrity interviews in here. Uh, you know, obviously at the AV Club, we we pride ourselves in uh, having a fantastic critical voice uh, and our TV voice is led by, as I mentioned, our TV editor, Jeanette. Um, but we, we also have a ton of celebrity interviews and we do our best to talk to as many nominees as we can. Um, and we're going to be hearing from those people uh, in these episodes as well. So uh, we're going to end things in this episode with discussions with nominees Darcy Carden and Catherine O'Hara. But before we get to that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going to make this year's Emmys uh, a little different uh, with the pandemic going on right now uh, and just general changes in the TV industry even before that, uh, why the categories look a little bit different this year, um, as well as, uh, you know, ways that uh, this Emmys is going to be unprecedented in terms of the actual ceremony and what maybe we're going to miss out on um, because we're not going to have a traditional ceremony with everyone sitting out in the audience. Uh, And then we're going to give you a little bit of a taste of what we're going to be doing for the remaining episodes of these Emmys-centric episodes of Push the Envelope. um, by talking a little bit about specific categories. Um, so I guess let's just get right into it. Um, not a lot of business. Uh, Danette, uh, do you want to kick us off by uh, giving us a few points on on why these uh, Emmys are going to look different uh, aside from even the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, for the first time in a long time, the Primetime Emmy Awards might actually surprise us. Um, as delighted as we all were 
about flea bags uh, sweep last year. Um, we have already seen some shakeups in the nominations themselves, which uh, Eric will touch on shortly. Um, but as you mentioned, Patrick, obviously the COVID pandemic related shutdowns um, and stay at home orders have had an impact on the voting periods and the eligibility guidelines. And this is the more nitty gritty stuff, but there's actually um, some really, it, it, they do represent uh, some changes in the industry and also circle back to that phrase that we have to throw around whenever we talk about programming uh, in this decade oh, um, and the previous one for that matter. But peak TV, <laughs> I had to say it. I'll allow it. We've gotten it out of the way. What, what do we have to pay John Landgraf uh, for using his phrase? <laughs> we, we get one per episode, if that. Um <laughs> And, you know, something that we can dig into in the near future will be um, how much progress as far as inclusivity is actually made with this latest batch of nominees. I touched on it a bit uh, when writing about some of the snubs and surprises, um, because there were some great surprises, right? Like Issa Rae was nominated for both Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy and Insecure was nominated for the first time in the outstanding comedy uh, category. Uh, and that was on the heels of an absolutely uh, fascinating fourth season. Um, so we will touch on, you know, just how much progress is being made there because when we start to dig into uh, some, when we start to look at those drama categories, it's just not as heartening uh, of a development as we might've hoped. Um, but Speaking of dramas and comedies, uh, we have seen an expansion in both of those categories, which will each have eight nominees going forward. So there's a little less hand-wringing, uh, I think, for viewers at home um, in terms of like things squeaking by. Uh, I'm not going to dig into the 2% rule because I have a very hard time describing it. Um, but so even if this has been... But how do you feel about that? <laughs> It, yeah, how do you feel about eight eight nominees? Like, is that too many? Is that not enough? Like, well, I I I go back and forth on it. Well, yeah, I was yeah, I I was gonna say that even so, it's funny because even if it had been a fallow year for comedies, which is something we can argue about later, I feel like we all have very strong opinions about just how strong a showing uh, there was in any of these genres. That you know, like we're still gonna see the same number of entrants, and I think um, that that opens up the door going forward. I kind of wish it had happened a little bit sooner for some shows, you know, like I feel like um, the no one has ever really known what to do with some of these uh, dramedies. Uh, Stars is Viva, which I've written about <laughs> so much. Um, I like that feels much more like a comedy to me with dramatic elements because it is some of the funniest stuff on TV. And I think, and, you know, like, I, this is probably sacrilegious to a lot of people out there. Like, no, 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 no. Like, that one's got to stay in the half-hour drama category. But I, I think it allows for some interesting things to go on. But how do you guys feel about that? Like, do you uh, – should the cap be lower? Should it be bigger? Should we be talking best picture at the Oscars numbers? I mean, I kind of, you know, it's. It, I, I know the Oscars is is changing their policies on this, but I, you know, I kind of liked what it was for the last couple of years, where if there 
was if it was deserving of a certain amount, then let's get to that certain amount, which I know, you know, Emmys is 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 like that. You hinted at that with the two percent rule and that kind of stuff now. Um and which is why we also have some categories with with a certain number and other categories with a larger number. And I, I go back and forth on it. Like part of me feels like you know, five has been the classic for so long for so many of these award shows. And that seems like the right number, but all these are subjective. So the more we can celebrate stuff, the better. Uh, so in that regard, I, I feel like let's bring it on and let's have 15 nominees. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, my, my argument becomes like, when when is too much too much? Um, yeah. But but I, I, you know, in general, I'm, I'm a fan of, of, of acknowledging more, more positive work than than less. Well, I don't know. What about you, Eric? Uh, it, it's kind of a sign of what is being produced and like what the categories can accommodate. You know, we talk about uh, eight nominees in the the you know the big in the big drama and comedy categories, but we're also looking at a year where Variety Sketch, a relatively newer award, only has three nominees. And one of them, as we are recording this right now, just got canceled yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so it's it is this sort of you know TV has been in such a strange transitional flux kind of period the last few years, and I think you can kind of see that written across this year's nominations, uh, and, and as well as you know. We're, like to Danette's point, uh, I think there are still a lot of shows where we don't know where exactly they fall along these genre lines uh, that were established years and years ago and maybe not don't accurately reflect a show like Viva or don't accurately reflect the production uh, model of a show like the, the Ryan Murphy anthologies. Does that mean that, you know, do we look at a future at some point where where um, if you were nominated for, you know, I think of, of Orange is the New Black, like some of those actors that got nominated were very dramatic uh, actors on that show. And some of them were like a, a lot of the comedy on that show. And so, you know, should it be weighing weighing the episode that they submitted and are they doing dramatic work or comedy? Like, there's a lot of nuance there that, that makes things really complicated. But, you know, to your point about the changing television landscape, one of the positive things about there being more nominees now is that there's just more content. Like we have had, five, you know, the, the five nominees uh, from the years that where there was only the the major three networks, uh, you know, as far back as that. And now there's just so much more. So, so I guess I'm landing in the in the park now that that more is better always. So <laughs> let's bring it on. Let's bring on more. <laughs> Did I, where, like, uh, just in terms of the eligibility periods and and what was nominated, where do you kind of see? Uh, the pandemic factoring into how these nominations shook out? I, I think the general feeling is that people had more of an opportunity to watch things. Um, and, you know, like something we, we keep talking about, like as just viewers and as uh, entertainment journalists uh, is this idea of catching up, right? Except obviously, you know, it, they're on a, a, a slightly it, it's 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 slightly more critical that these people you know watch as much stuff as possible and I, I think that it, more than anything it's I get I guess more of like a like a mood thing you know it's, it's just people at home having the sense that oh the, you know they might because I, I feel like we think this a lot when we see the Emmys especially when 
And I'm sorry to the Kaminsky Method fans out there. My apologies to Michael Douglas. <laughs> but when, <laughs> but when you see a show just, you know, come out of nowhere, and I mean the same can be said about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm not a fan of either. I'm sorry, guys. But you know, this idea that we start rubber stamping things, and you know that there's the, always that question that. Did they even watch anything else? Like, did they really watch everything that was out there? And what's interesting about this here is that it kind of feels like we got closer to people seeing more, you know, there, there was room for, you know, these hanging episodes. Um, you know, we it obviously did not allow for something like I May Destroy You to sneak in there. But, you know, people did get to finish seeing, you know, some of these shows that, you know, were delayed. And it also just kind of reminded you of stuff that premiered way back in the before times, like the morning show. I mean, it's just kind of hard to believe that that premiered less than a year ago. I mean, it's hard to believe that's a TV show at all. <laughs> uh, that's a topic for another episode. But, but um, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people also, uh, if they're not in, as in tuned maybe as, as, as we are and other like super fans of, of, of TV, um, is the eligibility, how that factors in in terms of how, even how many episodes of a series has, has run during, during a period. It gets like really convoluted and, and, uh, and obviously moving those deadlines altered what could be eligible here um, just because pe- there was more time for episodes to air and therefore be eligible. Because uh, the other thing, too, is that even the guest acting and all of that kind of stuff, those episodes had to have aired during those periods. So there's maybe even some guest actors that we ended up seeing nominated uh, who wouldn't have otherwise been eligible until next year. Uh, another really interesting thing here for me, uh, at least, is um, being in LA and seeing all the billboards for things, and usually getting all, like the just like hundreds of invites to all the for your consideration events that happen in person, where they do these lavish and expensive parties. None of that was there this year, and I, I kind of love how democratizing that is a little bit um, in the fact that like a, a smaller show that maybe wouldn't have had a budget to advertise as much as as some of the other large network shows. Shows, um, could kind of bubble up because they were on the same playing field. And I think I think that's a really cool thing. Well, I, I have to wonder about how level that playing field is. You know, like there, I mean, there aren't in-person events, but th- that also means that like there's less of an opportunity for somebody from one of these like hidden gems to charm voters versus, I mean, you know, I guess I'm just thinking of looking at uh, some of the, the sites for some of the trades and like those splashes, those like, you know, wraparound ads. I mean, th- those are all for the usual suspects, it feels. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly not discounting that, that you know, there's still like that, that ad money doesn't still play significantly into this. I just think that a lot of times, uh, you know, to your point, you could have an event and someone would charm. But, uh, you know, entertainment journalists being entertainment journalists in LA, if you're getting invited to like a super fancy party at a super uh, exclusive venue that probably cost you know, a million dollars to put on and that's the same night as like a smaller event that a that a show with less of a budget is putting on, you're probably going to go to the nice, the, like the really cool fancy event um, just because that's the that's human nature. Um, so I guess in that, in that case is where I'm like super happy that it kind of leveled the playing field in terms of, of uh, 
nobody being able to kind of like outspend someone in the physical space. Uh, but certainly, as you mentioned, uh, ad buys are still a big part of this uh, whole campaign season. Oh, I was just curious, like, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of talking generally about shows that maybe had a chance to bubble up when they wouldn't have in other years. And I was wondering if there were any shows that y'all noticed uh, that got nominated that seemed like they wouldn't have if maybe most of the voting body hadn't been confined to their homes the last five months. I mean, I look a little bit at what we do in the shadows as that. I mean, I know we have a ton of fans on on staff for it, uh, but I, I do think that that's a show that I was having a moment in the last couple months as people started to catch up on it. Um, so for me, that's probably an example that I would give. Um, there's a show that did not immediately grab me uh, as a secular person, but the Netflix miniseries Unorthodox. I feel really had uh, time to, I mean, th- that that debuted in March. And I mean, obviously, like, it's March, like they had c- a considerable amount of time, uh, you know, even under normal uh, guidelines. But I think, you know, that extra time uh, gave people a chance to Re, you know, to to dig into something they might not have otherwise watched, including myself. Yeah, that was the one that I was thinking of too. Uh, especially the what's the name of the the lead actress in that? Shira Haas. Yeah, she you know she getting nominated for best actress in a drama like kind of that's that kind of seems like your big left field out of nowhere mm-hmm. nominee this year and like. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I'm my my train of thought is going nowhere there. I'm just uh, agreeing with what Danette said. Oh, and Eric, just because I don't want us to get any any uh, any uh, hate messages, uh, out, uh, that's for limited series. Just being very that's clear. for limited series. Gah, gosh, I'm I, I'm sorry. Uh, the no, no. the the category bleed as. Has gotten me all discombobulated, y'all. Well, no. If you look at the main, especially with the expanded, expanded, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, number of nominees, uh, you know, there's well over uh, 215 nominees to keep track of. So you're forgiven, uh, and I hope I hope the listeners will forgive us if we ever misspeak in terms of those. Well, also, Eric, another year might prove you right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they might order another season. Um, all we have to do is uh, wait. <laughs> And that's uh, that's just the name of the game right now, right? That's everyday yeah. life is waiting. Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Shira Haas's nomination and another development wanted to gauge your get your opinions on um, is the the parody that we're seeing in the in the paired performer categories. So, if there are six outstanding lead actors in a drama, uh, there are always going to be six accompanying nominees in the Outstanding Lead Actress uh, in a drama category. And, you know, there there are some people like uh, Asia Kate Dillon, uh, non-binary performers who would rather get rid of gendered categories altogether. But, you know, I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on, um, uh, you know, on that idea of parody uh, in in the acting uh, categories. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I think it's a little bit like, um, you know, the conversation we have about uh, actors of different backgrounds playing other backgrounds. 
in an ideal world, that's fine because opportunity is is uh, so uh, available for you know it, at the point that at the point that trans actors are getting to play you know get the chance to play a hundred different roles uh, in a year, then it's fine if one of those is played by someone who is not trans. But it's an issue. Uh, representation is an issue because there's just so much there's so limited uh, chances right now. And I think it's it's a little similar when you look at at gender for me at least uh in fact in the terms of the types of roles that are offered to men and women are different and what they're what they're allowed to do on these shows is often different and i think we've made a lot of progress for that not being the case um and and i think eventually i'd love to move to to you know non-gender specific categories and just look at everybody um on an equal playing field but for the time being i do think that there is there are uh, opportunities provided to either gender that the other does not necessarily get right now. And, and it can be a little bit harder. But that's also to say that, you know, you're looking at, you know, we, we keep mentioning mix of genres that, you know, a lot of times you'll have somebody win in a comedy because they were the most dramatic actor on that season. Uh, and so we're basically rewarding them for, you know, crying and getting super emotional on a comedy when, Really, should we be looking at the most comedic person? Uh, that gets into a whole other mm. thing that you're not asking about right now. But but uh, you know, all these all these categories are arbitrary. I guess is what I'm trying to get to. I kind of like like what the Peabodys do in that. You know, they they award stuff in various different categories, but it, it really is just kind of like a list of like these are the shows, these are the these are the programs we deemed worthy. Like I think that's really cool. Obviously it's not as dramatic as an award show where there's winners and losers, but um but it's it's you know it's like that's a really cool way to um recognize people in a way that doesn't necessarily compartmentalize them. Yeah. And then you might uh deal with some of the kind of vestigial limbs of older categories like having uh the TV movies competing against limited series in some awards and and not in others uh you know how how do you really compare Hugh Jackman in Bad Education uh to Jeremy Irons in several episodes of Watchmen it's kind of it gets it gets a little it gets a little sticky i feel like when you're when you're at that point yeah well, that gets into a whole other. We could spend hours talking about uh, episode submissions. I will always and forever um, be frustrated with um, whoever made the decisions for what episodes to, for Julie Bowen to submit for Modern Family, because I would take a look every year when every year that she got, for in my opinion, snubbed for nominations. I'd look at the episode that um, her team submitted for her, and I would always think of three or four other episodes that were much better uh, displays of, of her uh, comedies, comedy abilities. Uh, so, I mean, all of that comes into play with these, which is both what makes it fascinating to talk about beyond the actual awards. So I'm glad because it gives us things to talk about. But at the same time, it's something to keep in mind when somebody you think should have won didn't win or wasn't nominated. There's there's so many factors that come into play. Well, we can still look forward if that's how we want to phrase it, to seeing Jimmy Kimmel host the virtual ceremony later this month. Um, but what one thing we do know is that it's going to be a lot harder to recreate crowd reactions. So we'll just have to figure out a way to do that maybe on this podcast down the road. But um, thank you guys for digging into that with me because, it, you know, it, it, it's easy for this to just come across as like just figures, you know, just like very dry information. But I think as we've seen from, you know, our discussion, uh, there are just these much wider reaching ramifications, if you will, uh, 
made that, that will come from these changes made by a bunch of people known as the Television Academy. <laughs> well, yes, and hopefully they can do crowd. Re- if they do crowd reactions, uh, they'll do it a little bit better than the uh, national conventions have been doing. It's so so awkward. Um, but Eric, I, I know I know we were going to talk a little bit about uh, this. Uh, I'm going to say it one more time: peak TV. But uh, another phrase that we've heard a lot uh, is unprecedented, and that certainly is the case uh, with this ceremony. Um, and I know you had some thoughts uh, about that. Yes, here in these uncertain times, uh, we're. Looking at an Emmy's uh, unlike any other, which in some ways, and I, I you know, uh, Danette, you kind of brought this up that uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, there's there's a chance for a surprise uh, at the Emmys just because it's going to be so different. Uh, Patrick, you mentioned the uh, national conventions uh, for the presidential election. Like, I feel like those are kind of teeing us up for what we can expect from this weird remote uh, taping for the ceremony. Uh, When I talked to Darcy Carden, who is nominated for Best Supporting uh, Actress in a Comedy Series for the final season of The Good Place, uh, I asked her uh, how she's she's preparing to attend this virtual ceremony and uh, what her expectations are for it. Yeah, what uh, what do you anticipate the night of to to be like? Do you do you think you'll be on multiple zooms on on multiple FaceTimes as it's happening? Like, what's is there any indication of what the production know. is going to be like? I don't know. I mean, there, we don't really know much information at all yet. I mean, we basically know what the public knows, which is just that it's you know not not going to be at the usual place, <laughs> and it's going to be at people's homes and. Um, I, you know, like the, some, some of, uh, like Will and I were talking about maybe is, is there a way to like socially distance, you know, watch it together or something like in the backyard. I don't, I don't know. There's, um, my husband Jason and I keep talking about how funny it is. Just like, am I going to be wearing a dress and he's going to be wearing like sweats? Like what, what is the, what is, what's the whole deal? What is it going to look like? I mean, it would be really, um, it would be really fun to watch it with a few friends that, you know, it, it, you just have to be safe and careful and wear masks and all, all the stuff that everybody's doing. I'm just not sure how, how to do it. I don't know. However, however, it turns out your, your first time as an Emmy nominee is going to be uh, particularly memorable on multiple levels. For sure. Which is, which is a, it, that's a, a cool, positive way to look at it. Yeah. When I'm an old, old grandma and I say like, I was nominated for an Emmy once, and they'll be like, when? And I'm like, that one year, that was so bad. And they're like, 2020, Grandma? Don't know. Don't know. Don't remember. I just love her so much, and I know we're going to be playing a little bit more of your interview with her uh, later on, Um, but I, I, I love that people are finding ways to watch stuff at home or trying to still make it an event. Um, but I'm really going to miss like, like, you know, the, the Amy Poehler, like the fact that the nominees are all together and are we going to get like, is everyone going to have cameras at home and be like waiting or is it just the winners? Like, I have so many questions about how this is going to work out. Well, I have a question for you guys. Have they said anything about how long they expect it to run? Because I don't, I haven't found a listing for it, but I, I would I imagine... Think- 
I, I think they're still figuring it out. I mean, even in his mm. original announcement, Jimmy Kimmel said, I don't know how and I don't know uh, why or, you know, he, he I don't know how or, or when or why I'm doing it. But, you know, we're saying that I'm hosting it and it's happening uh, as scheduled. So there's a lot that they're still putting together. And, uh, you know, uh, we're we're to be to be upfront. We're recording this about a, a week ahead of release. And um, there might be answers by the time by the time you're listening to this. But I have a feeling it's it's going to be similar to the to the national conventions where they're figuring stuff out to the very last second, um, and and that'll be both in, could could turn out great or could be one of the worst things we've ever, ever seen. I kind of enjoy that not knowing. Uh, it 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 seems like there's there's a chance for legitimate surprise. There's a chance for a total train wreck. Either way, it's going to be worth watching. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's the first time that it will feel, I mean, is it going to be a mess? Probably. But um, I still look forward to it. And I actually had a follow-up question for you guys. Who is actually going to use a Zoom background and who is just going to let us see their homes? Oh my God, I hope we get to see all these people's homes. That was my like favorite part of the at-home episodes we've seen of um, like Parks and Recreation or even the Drag Race finale. Like just getting these insights to like like what Retta's closet looked like and knowing that that wasn't like a set, that that's just her closet. Like that was amazing. I mean, I think you brought up uh, Amy Poehler as kind of your go-to uh, gag out in the audience in terms of doing a little sketch work, I would guess that she'll probably have a virtual Zoom background. Uh, And, you know, uh, I kind of also hope people, you know, as much as we shouldn't be traveling out of our homes right now, uh, maybe if someone takes a cue from President Obama and uh, does their bit or their presentation from a big empty museum... Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of unused spaces right now that the TV Academy could be taking full advantage of. Well, I hope they do it, and if not, they need to call us, and we could give them notes for God, <laughs> God, God willing, we're not do- talking about doing this again next year. But uh, if we are, they should they should call us and and take notes um, because yeah, I mean, there's a lot that, and like we said, there's a lot they could learn from the conventions. I think um, I think it'll also be interesting because we might see people's families. You know, we might see. Uh, because they're going to be there rather than saying I'd like to thank like theoretically they're going to be sitting right there next to them on the couch um so yeah. could be could be a very interesting and and game-changing thing because it, also if it goes really well we could see this a lot you know I think about this with with uh news programs now where now you see everyone over zoom and and no one's having to come into the to the studio to record because you know they're taking precautions like how will we see this change even once we you know we used to get like one or two people coming in via satellite from you know across the country or across the world because they're filming um accept an award like will that kind of become more normal well okay now that has gotten me thinking thinking about like the ba- people's families and you know like everybody being on camera does this mean that everybody that the winners know in advance that they've won like you know it's like okay let me pull out Miami now or are they you know do they just get like a FedEx at that moment with like you know an IOU a statuette how how, how exactly is that going to play out yeah, will it be like Publishers Clearinghouse where like somebody knocks on the door and they get yes. to open it? And I'm now hoping, I'm now envisioning this this scenario, and I'm I'm loving it because the alternative is that they 
either none, no one gets an award and that's a little awkward and they get it mailed to them like weeks later or all of them get an award and then you're sitting there with an Emmy that you that like you lost. Like that's also really sad. Oh God. I mean, I think we can uh, advocate for the introduction of the giant check in lieu of an award statuette. Well, I mean, really, some of them Mr. probably look Lifford. at it that way. Ugh. Oh my god. This is not a time to be sending things through the mail. Oh, that is also very true. Like let's let's clear I was there's been this whole campaign of like send letters, send letters. I'm like, no, buy stamps, wait to send yes. letters after the election, please. Exactly. Buy stamps. Well I I I have to wonder if like just the logistics end of it is why we haven't heard anything about how the broadcast is actually gonna go. Like they've gotta I'm sure they've gotta figure out both like how many camera operators and mm-hmm. like broadcast and telecast commute like just the 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 actual equipment of like are they gonna set are they send this sending this out over broadband are they sending it out over the air like is it safe to send a camera crew into the houses of all of these nominees are we even gonna see all of the nominees on screen it's there's so there's so many unknowns I feel I feel like like there's not a whole lot of specifics that we can talk about in this episode. It's mostly just this anticipation for uh, something that's never been done before. Well, and that's like you said, what makes it exciting. Well, I think we're going to have to prepare ourselves for a whole lot of fake surprise faces. I think everybody is really going to have to work on their surprise face because I think they're going to let people know ahead of time. It's going to be like the people's choice awards. Well, you know, the the nomination, the, the stream of the nominations was kind of a mess. And I don't think they're going to want anything like that for the ceremony itself, because, you know, we had Laverne Cox learning, much to her surprise, that she was, in fact, nominated for the final season of Orange is the New Black. And she could not. I mean, it, Leslie Jones was apparently getting the information as they were all kind of saying their goodbyes. And so, you know, like, it was kind of cute that she was very excited to tell her that. But, you know, I there had already been technical issues, and I just don't think Laverne took it <laughs> at face value at the time. And I can't imagine someone accepting an award uh, under those circumstances. Um, yeah, because that that just would not look great. Yeah, well, I think the other factor in there is that I, I love Leslie Jones so much, but uh, for one of for these kind of situations, I think you want somebody like Jimmy Kimmel who is very like steady. Um, you know, uh, while while Les, while Leslie would make a fantastic host, and I can't wait to watch Supermarket Sweep, um, which she's hosting. Um, you you kind of need a, a more controlled environment when it comes to uh, what's what's coming up with this uh, remote ceremony. <laughs> I don't know, man. All bets off. <laughs> That's true. And this will be the first major awards event, right? So, I mean, if you're setting the tone, I think there's even greater pressure to smooth as much of this stuff out ahead of time. I don't know. I, I think we're going to get people making excited faces on camera a little too early. You know, we're going to see like a Zoom call of all the nominees and one person's going to look dejected and, the, and one person's going to be super excited. That's my prediction. Oh, the opportunity for gifts will be just bottomless. 
I cannot wait. Uh, of course, as we get more information on on this, hopefully we can discuss these in some of the upcoming episodes. Uh, but speaking of upcoming episodes, before we get to Darcy Carden, uh, we just want to give you a little uh, snippet of what we're going to have coming up in the uh, next three episodes. Um, so we're dividing everything. Uh, as much as we've said we hate dividing things by genre, we're dividing things by genre. Um, <laughs> and uh, going with uh, discussing um, all the drama categories. So we'll discuss the drama series and the drama acting on nominations and the comedy series and the comedy acting nominations and then the limited series and movie nominations uh both for series and acting um so we're gonna dig into all of that um i i've loved talking with all of you about more broadly about the emmys but we're really gonna get more nitty-gritty into the nominations um who we wish we'd seen there uh, what we think about the makeup of of the actual list of nominees um Danette's gonna maybe weigh in a little bit on on what she thinks is gonna happen uh on awards night uh, in terms of who might actually win, not how they're going to accept their award, since we are very <laughs> clear that that's way up in the air. Um, but I, I want to kind of toss it to you, Eric, to introduce our first uh, interview, major interview segment. Uh, we got a little bit of it earlier, but uh, we're going to hear from your conversation with Darcy Carden. Uh, what did you guys get to talk about? Yeah, it was a it was a really great conversation with Darcy. You know, she's a first time nominee, but it's also kind of a bittersweet thing because the Good Place ended this past January. Uh, so we kind of dug into what it was like for the show to come to a close, but also kind of talk about some of the finer points of her submitted episode, which is uh, You Changed Man, which is the one where she plays a whole variety of Janets. Uh, so you'll hear a little bit of that in this excerpt. It's it's an it's an efficiency of story, and yet there's still so many jokes yeah. crammed into it. I mean... Uh, your uh, your wardrobe in this episode changing as much as it does and playing all of the different Janets like that's that's a joke like uh, what's what's something the the average viewer might not know about playing multiple parts uh, in a single episode like this you know it, w one thing about it is that you know going from good Janet to bad Janet or bad Janet to good Janet takes a long time so much longer than I thought. And I remember, I mean, like, I've, you know, been doing this for a long time. I know how wigs work and stuff like that, but I remember thinking that we would just kind of, like, pop the wig on and pop it off. I mean, it, it's, like, practically, it would almost be easier if I, like, fully showered in between. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you basically have to go back to zero for each of them. And we found that going from good Janet to bad Janet was easier than the other way. So we almost, oh, I think maybe once or twice had to do the opposite, but, you know, trying to scrub off that um, black I make up for bad Janet. It, it takes a while. Okay, here's something you might not know. Our um, makeup head, the woman who was in charge of makeup, is a woman named Anna Butler. And she decided that each of the Janets should have different fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you ever see them. I mean, I think you see bad Janet's fingernails for sure. They're, like, black and they have little, like, metal studs on them. But I'm talking, like, when it's, all the Janets lined up, you know, like rows and rows of Janet, and there's like a Janet in like a plaid uniform and a Janet in a tan uniform. All of those Janets have different fingernails that we would have to, to um, take on and off. We use like press-on nails. <laughs> and it's and it, the funniest thing is Janet usually has her like hands clasped in front of her, so you don't see the, the nails anyway. <laughs> but it's like that attention detail that really goes from the top to the bottom in that show. Like every... Everybody is so proud 
of working on the show and what it's about and, and you know, the quality of it and is willing to, like, put the time in instead of just being like, oh, nobody will know this. That really is, like, I mean, every department. No department says, oh, nobody will know this. You know, the props, just everybody. They, they put, like, 100% into what they do. It's, it's such a... Um, such a cool environment because everybody's like playing at the top of their game. Are there ways that you feel like your improv and sketch experience kind of primed you for episodes like this where you're kind of alternating between different personas? Yes, I totally do. That's a really, yeah, I've I thought that before that, you know, people, especially like in season three, I think, you know, when I did this the episode Janice where I played the other, the other castmates and then episodes like this where I'm playing all the different Janice. I feel like a lot of people ask me if it was hard to go from one to the other. And, and it wasn't. It, that was, like, wasn't the hard part. The hard part was, you know, getting changed and, and not wasting time and all that. And But I think because of years, you know, doing sketch and improv at, at Part Citizens Brigade, where you would play, you know, five, anywhere from like five to a hundred different characters per show, um, that just sort of became part of what I, what I, am able to do or what I love to do I should say you know is there an official tally of how many different Janets you played by the end of the series I know there is I don't know that we we tallied it but I've seen it you know um the good place fans are are pretty thorough <laughs> I've seen it on Twitter and stuff a uh, little list um and it's always people arguing with each other like there'll be a list and then somebody will be like oh no you forgot uh this janitor that janitor this Janet playing that Janet, and what about this, you know? So people, people definitely, we've got artists that, like, draw the different costumes. We've got, you know, people making lists and, and video compilations. And it's really um, a cool uh, fandom, I think. They, like, they're really, they really uh, care about the show and love the show, and we kind of see it all on social media. So I think it is a lot. There's a lot of Janet. <laughs> I mean, we could count them, but... It's definitely like more than more than twenty. I don't know because there's also like different levels of rebooted Janet and what counts as a new Janet. And, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> Looking back at the whole series and the whole arc of Janet's journey, you know, how 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 would you describe it? What what would you say is uh, is the journey that Janet takes from when we see her in the pilot all the way to? Uh, when she walks through that uh, that stand of trees, the thing I remember feeling in season one, you know, sometimes I would get the question like, "Where do you want Janet to like end up?" or something like, "What do you want for Janet?" And I always just felt like I wanted her to be happy. You know, she has spent her whole uh, existence like making other people happy, and it's weird, right? Because at the end, you could argue that that. It's sad for Janet. You know, she's alone now. But there's that beautiful, the beautiful lines that Mike wrote about how she can remember everything as if it's occurring to her, you know, as, as if it's happening right now. So the fact that her, the love of her um, life, I'm saying life in quotes, whatever, whatever that is, <laughs> the love of her existence and her best friends are gone, it, um, it isn't really the case with her. She doesn't kind of experience time the same way we do. So I think she is like really, truly happy. And, and the whole point of that final door that they walk through, it means that they're, they, that the, 
the um, four characters, five, I guess, are, no, four, no, Tahani, are, like, at peace, right? They're, like, they've done it all, they've seen it all, they are at peace with themselves. And so they, I think that's, like, the ultimate, they are truly happy. So her purpose is, um, has, is, is realized, you know? Everybody around her that she loves is, is happy, which makes her happy. Um, okay, so did I really answer your question? Not exactly, but I do think she she evolved so much, you know, from just being sort of computer brain Janet, theory, you know, theory brain Janet, to more more Pinocchioed, you know, a little bit of a real boy by the end of it. <laughs> a real, not a girl. Yeah, exactly. Pretend I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I love her so much, uh, and I'm so glad that she is got nominated before the show ended. Uh, although I have to admit that I was shocked that she was not nominated the previous year for the episode Janet's. This one, she played all the different Janets in the one she's nominated for now, but in that one, she played all the other characters on the show, which I think was even a more difficult task. And I, I, I was shocked she wasn't nominated that year. Well, I feel like, you know, kind of the nature of the Emmys and with television in general, you get some second chances and this uh in addition to being a culmination of a, a great performance and a really interesting character arc uh this does kind of seem to be a a makeup for overlooking her last year this is her cold mountain you're saying <laughs> yes. and she's not the only nominee we got to speak to recently uh our editorial coordinator gwen Inat actually spoke to Catherine o'hara who was nominated for the final season of schitt's creek and she spoke to her about saying goodbye to that character and that series and really the impact that that show has had which exploded you know we talk about shows that that uh kind of had time to grow um, Schitt's Creek did that over over the past uh, couple years once it hit Netflix, of course, first airing on uh, uh, Pop TV um, here in the States. Uh, I'm so glad that it got rewarded with like basically 10 billion awards. I think it's 14 total. One of you correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that's it's, it's so fantastic to see that show go out on top. Um, so uh, yeah, let's take a little listen to Gwen's conversation with Catherine O'Hara. Fans, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. Thanks. Thanks for all your support of the show. You've been really kind to us. Thanks. Well, it's, uh, I was just rewatching season six. It's so fun to watch. What is the, what does the Emmy nom mean for you at this point in your career? <laughs> um, it's, it's lovely, you know, the kindness of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, try not to take it too seriously. But uh, it's always better to be nominated than not nominated. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's really nice. It's a, it's a you know, unexpected bonus to, um, to the great time I had making the show with everyone. Well, as your character and for your consideration uh, would be the first to point out. Um, <laughs> what are you... Yeah, Eugene and I uh, continually remind each other of that. <laughs> um, Working on that movie, yeah. Will you be wearing uh, black and white to the Emmys? <laughs> you know, I wear a lot of black and white anyway. I mean, uh, for years uh, of, uh, you know, traveling, uh, it always seemed easier to pack black and white because I can never think of what to wear ahead of time. Mm. And you know it's going to go together. Uh-huh. But I have never had a wardrobe like I did at Moira. What? So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, uh, inspired by it. And I <laughs> wish I had Moira's nerve. <laughs> 
Well, and, you know, kind of in um, the kids, my husband and I just rewatched Beetlejuice with the kids, like in our quarantine movie, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. it's one of those, it just, it holds up so amazingly well, but um, I gotta say yeah. the wardrobe is similar. Yeah, oh, I think so is my character. Right. Yeah, true. Well, what what did you draw on? And I apologize because I'm sure everybody is, is asking you um, similar questions, but I'm so, I love Moira so much. What, okay. where did she come from? How did you, how are you able to craft her? It was sort of anti-creativity at the beginning. I was just trying not to do a lot of things. <laughs> I, I was, I was nervous about coming up with a character that I would, you know, that would be uh, challenging and fun to play for or an undetermined or non-determined amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when, when you first start a series, you know, the only series I did, I've done before was sketch comedy series. Right. TV and, and uh, you know, that's, you've got a lot of variety happening every day on that at work. But for a series like this, uh, I was just nervous about coming up with a character that... Uh, that I'd be interested in, let alone anyone else would want to see. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and uh, fortunately, of course, I had some great, inspiring details to work with, you know, from the the uh, concept from what Eugene and Daniel were, were developing at the time and, you know, that I'd been an uh, ex-soap star and that right away made me, mm-hmm. you know, actors, no matter how much success they have in something, they want to prove that they can do so many other things too. Right. So many other talents they haven't been able to show yet. Um, so that gave me a nice little bit of uh, neurosis. <laughs> and, um, and you know, Eugene and I, without even talking about it, individually decided that we would be a solid, loving couple. Mm. Uh, so that was really nice to play as opposed to, you know, there were a few kind of, uh, I don't think they were going that strongly in this direction, but there were a few kind of uh, nagging uh, jokes at the beginning, mm. and uh, and we all worked against that, which was great. Because mm. um, just, I think it was lovely having that, uh, you know, a solid relationship in the middle of all this madness and, and turmoil. Right. Um, and then the vocabulary thing. I just, you know, I've met people that learn. You, it's obvious they've learned a new word that day. <laughs> 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 and they try to put it into, and I admire that. I think that's great. You know, I'm very lazy with my own vocabulary, so it's a great opportunity to find obscure, arcane words, and and to and I, you know, Daniel and Eugene and the writers gave me the freedom to, you know, play with the dialogue a bit and add add some more using my fun books, Foil Slavery and Mrs. Burns Dictionary. And, you know, oh. that was, it just added kind of treat wow. while working on the show is to, to be able to, you know, have that kind of fun, that creative fun with something that was already really uh, beautifully done, the script. I didn't realize that, that you were adding your own um, vocabulary suggestions to her dialogue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. It, it, you know, whenever there was a, oh, they wrote the best expression, so like dis, disgruntled pelican and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, vigor of a wartime radio operator. <laughs> I've got, to, I've got to look at some shows to remember some more because there are just hundreds of them throughout the seasons. Um, great, just such purposefully, uh, purposefully uh, creative ways of expressing herself, you know, Moira had. And, uh, but if they ever wrote a sentence that just seemed like a normal person would say it, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I would go to my books and find, uh, find some great words. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I was rewatching. Um, I, I think maybe one of my favorite moments for her is the beginning of season six when she's, you know, mid total breakdown. Um, oh yeah. And it's a closet. Right. Yeah. And almost getting. Was was that the episode that you submitted for the Emmys, or was it the the social media one? I did the second. I think I submitted the second one, which is um, the Oopsie Nighttime Oopsie. Day. Right. <laughs> it's um. It's not as it's not as showy a role as some other uh, scenes that I had in other episodes, but but uh, we have some nice scenes where we actually relate to each other. Yeah, you know, I have scenes with Alexis and scenes with David and Patrick, and uh, you know, I think if you if you know the show, then you know, you know, then you know what we we've, we've all done. Right. But it just uh, you know, ultimately, the show you know at the center of the show was love and family. Yeah. And uh and it's you know, it's there in that episode, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well and it's also just fun to see her take over, you know, do so well with her friends and Oh yeah. Wine, <laughs> wine, that too, yeah. wine and cat lady <laughs> seventy four. Right. Yeah, the internet is a new toy for her that day. Exactly. What are your um favorite moments or uh you know, favorite episodes looking back? Do you have any things that oh, come to dear. mind? Wow. Yeah, but right from the beginning, I loved our group scenes, our Rose family scenes. Four of us were together in those sad little motel rooms. I love that we went from four people in that first episode who, who you know, they had a connection. But, you know, they had their own relationship. And, and you know, Johnny and Moira had a good, solid relationship. But they really were not connected as a family. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see. Uh, it was great, just really fun to play with, with Eugene and Daniel and Annie. I love them all so much, and they're all so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all those scenes were really fun. And then to see the growth, you know, to see just, mm-hmm. you know, how we ended up together in the motel room, you know, before we're all saying goodbye. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, but really, it was just always fun, and we made fun of each other in a loving way and helped each other do our scenes. And uh, it was so collaborative and so... Um, such a joyful kind of uh, atmosphere, always mm. on the set. It sounds so fun. Great, great people on the crew too, who are so creative and fun-loving, and added humor in every department. And yeah, yeah it's really it was a great group. Yeah. So what? Um, you, so you haven't? I mean, I know you did some series work, like on Six Feet Under, but yeah, it's interesting. You're saying you were on something for six seasons, like this show. What are you thinking of next? Does this kind of open up a world of TV for you? Uh, yeah, I've been offered a few things, but, uh, it's a, no, I, I don't mean what I did on the show, but the show in general is a tough act to follow. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, uh, because everything about it was, uh, just kind of, it was lovely, it really was. And, and there are so few opportunities for, uh, older actors to have, uh, these kinds of adventures that our characters had. Mm-hmm. And and I've said this a lot, but so many of the stories for characters past a certain age involve death, divorce, or disease, or all oh. three. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, because that is, you know, sadly, that's true of life. Um, so it's, it was, you know, it's great to be able to play uh, characters that have new and fresh adventures. Mm-hmm. At our ages, at our ages, and also to be able to be uh, ridiculous and funny. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, Dan said that about you. Like that was, you know, Maura Rose is like a, she's like an emblem for, you know, over 50 could, it should be like the prime of your life. Yeah, it should be. It really should be. Yeah. You've lived enough to not take the nonsense seriously. (laughs) Uh, and, but, but, uh, you know, the other, those other things I mentioned, disease and divorce and all those, they do get in the way of your sense of humor. I could listen to Catherine O'Hara talk all day long. Um, that was so fantastic. I was a super fan of Schitt's Creek, and I know Gwen was as well. So uh, I think you could tell um, in in what she was asking. Um, but I'm I'm so glad we were able to do that, and so glad that you guys were listening. Um, uh, that's going to wrap up things for this episode of Push the Envelope. But uh, Eric, Danette, and I will be back every week up until the Emmys. But for now, um, I hope you will find us on uh, avclub.com. You can uh, find us in the comment section there or on AV Club social media. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know if there's topics of discussion you'd love for us to bring up um, as we're discussing the rest of the nominees. And uh, we hope that you will like and subscribe. It actually is uh, a really big deal to comment um, I've been told, apparently. Um, so certainly uh, comment uh, in wherever you are listening to this podcast uh, in terms of giving feedback uh, and or your opinion. Um, but we want to hear from you. Uh, we value that. We value our readers' opinions so much at AV Club, and that continues uh, for our audio offerings. Um, but I appreciate uh, you guys listening, and now I'm just rambling. So Danette and Eric, uh, come in and say goodbye before I just keep talking. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. And if you own an internet uh, mattress company, we'd love to read your advertising copy uh, in between segments of the show. Yes, please, please. (laughs) Stamps.com. Call us. This week's episode of Push the Envelope was hosted by Danette Chavez, Eric Adams, and me, Patrick Gomez. It was produced by Iris Lynn and Carl Blomberg and edited and mixed by Zach Goldsboro. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.